Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking at this study. We've seen an overview of the end time events. We've seen the details. We actually went and looked at the, the tribulation in detail. We looked at the kingdom. We looked at the eternal state. But one of the things that stands out and that we need to understand as far as the kingdom and eternal state is we're going to be serving our Savior, Jesus Christ. For all eternity, whether it's going to be in the thousand-year reign of Christ or then in the eternal state, He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Protector. He is everything, and we're going to serve Him. So here's a question that we raise, uh, yeah, question. What will be the basis for our service? Think about that. What will be the basis for our service? The answer is this. How we serve now will determine our service in the kingdom and in the eternal state. Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Run the race so that you may get the prize. So in this lesson, lesson 8, we're going to be looking at rewards. It's going to probably take us, if we we go as slow as I think we should go, it'll probably take us at least two weeks to look through this lesson. So in this lesson, we want to think about rewards. We realize the very... What's the next event? It could happen when? Any second. So it happened any second. And so think about it. Uh, here's some questions. What will happen at the rapture? Where will we be? What will we be like? What about rewards? What will be the basis and the results? So there's so many things. We want to run the race so that we get the prize. Let's do this. And she had the slide up uh, the, there. That's what I want to say. I just want to remind you, in the big flow of things that we looked at, we said, when you think about end time events, and I'm, the reason I'm going over this is because even though we've been going over this week after week after week, almost every week, after we go over it, people come up and say, oh, I, I love it, I love it, I love it. It's just hard to put it together. And so the more you go over it, the easier it is to put it together. So when you think about end time events, I want you to think about two different things. Think about this. Think about the comings of Jesus Christ. There is a first coming to the earth. There is a second coming to the earth. The first coming to the earth, and the Old Testament talked about the coming of the Messiah and the Savior. And if you go back to Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and all the other passages, here Jesus comes, he's born in Bethlehem. He, he uh, uh, lives to about age 30, and then age 30 he starts a ministry that goes three, three and a half years. He presents himself as the Messiah, the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who will uh, rule Israel, the one who will rule the world. As we know, he was rejected, but his plan in the first coming was to die and pay for sin. He is the propitiation. We'll talk about that in just a second. So he died on the cross to pay for our sin, rose again. That's the death and resurrection. Walked on the earth for 40 days, ascended into heaven, and then 10 days later the church began. This is where we are. And the very next event, now let me just remind that's the first coming, coming to, the, coming to the earth to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Here's the second coming of Christ to the earth. He's coming as the, the, the lion out of the tribe of Judah, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now after the first coming, the church age, we know the next event's the rapture. As we just said a while ago, it could happen any second. We'll be taken off the face of the earth. We're going to talk today, beginning today, what happens to us after we're taken off the earth. Now, when we're taken off the earth, there's a time period. We don't know exactly how long, but, there, but before an event happens in which a man rises to power, makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel, the peace pact lasts for seven years. It's the final seven years, the 490 years promised to the nation of Israel in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Tribulation lasts for seven years. Halfway through it, the Antichrist claims to be God, puts his idol up at the temple. This is called the Great Tribulation. Then we come to the second coming of Jesus Christ. First coming to die, second coming to reign. He comes as the King of kings, Lord of lords, beast and false prophets, cast to the lake of fire, Satan, 
is bound in a big hole for a thousand years. Jesus rules on the earth as, a, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan is released right at the end. There's a final rebellion. Satan is cast in the lake of fire. There's called the great white throne judgment in which unbelievers are judged for their works. Their names are not found written in the book of life. They're cast in the lake of fire. And then we go into the eternal state. In the eternal state, he makes a new heavens and a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. A giant city comes down out of heaven and uh, it has streets of gold it has gates of big pearls and and we find that when we look at that we will serve him forever we serve him here we serve him here what what is the basis we just raised that question what is the basis for our service or because we're going to serve him forever what's the basis we said how we live now determines our places of service then and so this morning, we're going to talk about the reward aspect. And when we are raptured and taken off the face of the earth, we're going to stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be rewarded. There will be rewards, positions, response, whatever. And it will tie into right here and then the eternal state. So I want you to think about it. Now, let's think about this. The next slide talks about propitiation. Well, uh, yeah, it should be propitiation. Now, Jesus is called our propitiation. Now, that's a big word, but the big word propitiation simply means satisfactory payment. Jesus is the satisfactory payment. First John 2, 2 says he's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So once you understand, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for whose sins? Everybody. Everybody sins the sins of every human being. So the question often comes up. Will believers be judged for their sins? We all sin. We've come short of the glory of God. One day we stand before God. Will we stand before God to face Him for our sins? What's the answer? The answer is no. Why? Because our sins have all been placed on who? Jesus Christ. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. First Peter 2.24 says, He bore in His body our sins when He was on the cross. So here's the question. Since we're not judged for our sins, will we be judged at all? And if so, what will be the basis for our judgment? Now, if, if sin has already been placed on Christ... And no human being, whether believer or unbeliever, will be judged for their sins. Because the unbelievers, we already saw in the great white throne judgment, what was the basis of the fact that they were cast into the lake of fire? Why? why? Because their names were not what? Written in the book of life, and that comes by faith. So it wasn't because of their sin they were cast into the lake of fire. It was because they did not believe and have God's righteousness and life. Okay? So the question then is, if, we're, if we are not judged for our sins, what will be the basis for our judgment? The answer, the answer is it's going to be found in what we, we are judged. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what we find. We find that believers will be judged, but not for sin. The basis for our judgment will be our works. And what you find is every human being, believer or unbeliever, is judged for works. Unbelievers stand before God, the books of life are open, and the other books are open, which is the books of their works, but their works never add up, and their names are not found written in the book of life. For believers, we stand before Jesus Christ, and we're judged for our works. We find that this is going to happen, and the best that we can understand, because the Bible is not super clear, and it doesn't just say here's exactly how it happens, but the best that we can understand is that when we are raptured and taken off the face of the earth, that is when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be 
rewarded. So let's think about let's think about the rapture for just a second, because this is the next the next event. And if you remember on the slide, we see Jesus dying and rising again. We see the church age, and then the next event is the rapture. The rapture is Jesus coming in the clouds. The first coming, he comes to the second coming, he comes to the rapture. He comes in the clouds. It's that simple. And so the very next event, and it could happen at any second, is Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, and, and we're going to see it in just a second, some verses, and we'll be gone. We'll be gone. The word rapture is not in the Scripture. There's a Greek word apostasia. We get the word apostasy, and most of the time when you hear the word apostasy, is that negative or positive? Negative. It's negative. But the word apostasia just literally means departure. And there's a couple of Greek t- words, there's a, there's a couple of passages in the Bible where it's talking about the apostasy happens. And he's not talking about moving away from the truth, he's talking about us being taken out. So the word rapture is actually a Latin word, it's not found in the scripture, it's come from rapio, which means a snatching away. Now, there is nothing to be fulfilled for Jesus Christ to come in the clouds. People ask the question, are we in the last days? What's the answer? Yes. When did the last days start? At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've been in the last days for a long time. Are there any events that must happen before we are taken out? None. None. Now, maybe some things happen. There's nothing that says that the Antichrist or this these Ten King Federation can't form before the rapture. Nothing that says that. We often assume that the rapture will happen, then there'll be a ten-king federation. Now, it makes sense that at the rapture, and all the believers taken off the face of the earth, and because of the catastrophes and everything's going on in the earth, there will be a realignment in a ten-king federation down to a three-king federation down to one king. That makes sense. But there's nothing that says that there could not be an alignment of these nations and kingdoms before we're ever taken off. So we don't really know when. So there's nothing that has to happen before Jesus Christ comes to get us. Now, let's talk about what happens when Jesus Christ comes to get us. When he comes to get us, three basic things, okay? Let's start. First, the believers will be raised and changed. I want you to look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and I want you to see that we're going to be changed and raised. Notice, look, in verse 13... Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now, you know the story. There were people who had believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, the, the, the church at Thessalonica, but somebody was telling that anybody that had already died before Jesus came back, well, that was tough for them. And so people were worried. And so they got word to Paul. And so Paul writes to him and says, but I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Those who have already died. So you don't grieve as the rest who have no hope. Listen, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He said, you don't have to worry about the ones who already died. When they die, if they're a Christian, their bodies go in the grave, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So they're with the Lord. He said, you don't have to worry about them. When Jesus comes back in the clouds, they're coming with him. Okay? He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have already fallen asleep. He said, don't have to worry. We're not going ahead of them. In fact, then he tells what happens. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Wonder what the shout is. Then tell us. He may be saying, get up. Or he may be saying, wake up, okay? And the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What does he mean by that? 
the bodies of the believers who have already died, they're coming with him, their bodies will be raised first. Notice, then we who are alive, us, will be, and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this will always be with the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see is we're going to be raised and changed. There'll be, there'll be people who've already died and their bodies will be raised up and meet them in the air. There'll be us who will be changed in a moment, a twinkle of an eye. In fact, I think I have 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 52. It says the dead will be raised. We will be changed. This old mortal body will put on immortality. It's just going to be amazing. Uh, and, and even the question is raised, how is that all possible? Thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important that Jesus died to pay for sin and rose to what? Conquer death. Now don't forget it. We talk about the death and resurrection of Christ being the good news message, the gospel. The gospel is not just Jesus died for our sins. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and rose again on the third day. Why? Dying for our sins, he paid the penalty for sin. Rising again, he conquered death. That's why we don't have to, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. There's going to be a moment and a moment and a twinkle of an eye just like that will be changed. Now, I know we've heard this, or many of you have heard this all your life. I didn't grow up in the church, so I've heard it for a number of years, but I didn't grow up with any of this. I didn't never go to church. But to understand that in just a second, a moment, a twinkle of an eye, we'll be gone and we'll be changed just like that. And I know you've seen those videos where people are supposedly in church and all of a sudden, boom, something happens and there's like two people left and they look around and, and everybody's gone and, and all of those guys. It, it could happen just like that. I mean, it, he didn't say it will be a process. He said just like that. We are alive and remain to be caught up together with them in the clouds. First Corinthians 15 says, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Just like that. Just blink. If you blink, that's how fast it will be. So that's the first thing, that believers will be raised and changed. The second thing is that believers will be given new bodies. Philippians chapter 3, and if you want to read that, if you want to turn there, you can. Philippians chapter 3 tells about the fact. Now, we mentioned that there, that we'll be changed. The unbelievers, I mean, the believers' bodies that are already dead, their bodies will be raised and changed, will be changed. But I just want you to understand that. Look at chapter 3 of Philippians. This is what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? We're ambassadors for what? Christ. Where does an ambassador live? In the country that he's the ambassador for, but where is his home? Back somewhere else. Where's our home? Where's our home? Our citizenship is where? In heaven, but we're ambassadors for Christ on this earth. So we're here. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're just passing through. This earth is not our home. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. Notice what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven where we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ? The older you get, the more you eagerly await. It's true. When you're young, you say, I've got so many things I think I want to do. I hope he didn't come back quite right now because i got things I want to do. You get older, and your body begins to wear out, and you say, I wish you'd hurry up and come back. We should all say, I wish you would hurry up and come back. He says, we eagerly await our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity to the body of His glory. He's going to change us just like that. See, a glorified body means a body that will not decay. 
and we'll be given bodies like Jesus Christ's resurrected body. And I don't, we don't understand all the different things because Jesus could just appear and not appear, whether we'll be able to do that or not. Who knows? What we do know is that we'll have bodies that will never decay. That takes us to the third part, and this is really the key, that believers will be rewarded. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is, we're going to spend just a little bit of time on this, and this passage, and then maybe another passage as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as we think about rewards and standing before Jesus Christ, each believer one day will stand before him. Now, let, let me ask you something. You know, I'm the kind of person that I always like to do things with other people. In other words, if I'm going to go somewhere, I don't want to go by myself. If I go do anything, I don't want to go by myself. If I'm going to drive somewhere and say, hey, you want to go with me? I, I don't want to be by myself. Sometimes we have in this mindset that when we stand before Jesus, all of us are going to be this big group going, we're going up to see him, Right? But guess what? When you go up to see him, it's going to be who? It's going to be you by yourself. Okay? Second Corinthians chapter 5. There's a lot of great things there. But he says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or... And the word bad there actually means worthless, and we'll talk more about it in just a second. So I want you to see some details. By the grace of God, we have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. He took us from death to life, from darkness to light, from basically being in the kingdom of Satan to being in the kingdom of God. We become children of God. We become ambassadors for Christ. We become those who are to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. And one day, each one of us in this room who know Christ as Savior, we will stand before our Savior. Now, it's, it, how many of you think at this point that it's going to be scary? Oh, so not scary? Okay, I'm, you can stand before Christ, and you, are you going to stand before the most powerful being that's ever existed, the, the one that created everything, the one that holds everything in his hand, uh, the one that every human being is accountable to, and you're going, hey, just open the door, I'm going right in, baby. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think it's going to be the most unusual thing we've ever gone through. Number one, I think it's going to be a combination of the awe and the majesty of standing before the living God, which automatically has fear. And then there's going to be the part that says, you know, I've tried to live my life for Christ, and he, I know He loves me with an unconditional, unchanging, everlasting love, and so I can hardly wait to see Him, right? Now, you're going to see in the moment what? The moment you die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, whether... Now, here, here's the questions, and these are things that the Bible doesn't answer. Some people say, okay, the, the moment you die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and the moment you go to be with the Lord, when you stand before the Lord, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Some people say, no, 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 no. It, the judgment seat of Christ is later. You, you die, you go to be with the Lord, uh, maybe a picnic or something, and then later on, you stand before Him. Or some people say the judgment seat of Christ doesn't happen until the entire church is raptured out and then there'll be the time in which we stand before our Savior. There's no way to really know. Okay? But notice what he says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, 
I think the next slide says, we, we will all stand. Now, the word judgment there, when you see that, when it says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, oftentimes, we've talked about this before, judgment sounds like a bad word. You know, you're going to be judged. But the word bima, the word judgment is bima. It actually means a rewarding stand. We will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded. That's the plan. The plan is that you stand before your Savior. And what does he say? What? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the plan. I mean, that's what we want to happen. Now, we know First John chapter 2 says we could be ashamed at his coming. Meaning when he comes in the clouds and we get to be with him, we're pretty embarrassed because why? We haven't done very much. We haven't served him. We haven't lived for him. Remember, we said the basis for our rewards goes back to what? Our service for Jesus Christ here and now, right? Okay, so he says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he goes on to say to that each one each individual one will be recompensed. Now, the word recompensed, uh, it literally means to give back. It means to be given back. In a sense, God is so gracious. Let me ask you a question. If you serve God, whose power do you use? God's power. Uh, the spiritual gifts you have, who gave them to you? The opportunities that you have, who gave them to you? So you use the gifts that God's given you, the power that God's given you, and the opportunities given you, and you serve Him, right? And then He rewards you for that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that grace? Because He's the one that gave you the power, He's the one that gave you the gift, and He's the one that gave you the opportunities. And He says, I'm going to reward you for being faithful for me to use you. I'm going to reward you. It's pretty amazing. He says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ too, that each one of us would be given back, recompensed for the deeds, deeds, not sins. There are people who teach, and there's some good people who teach this, that when you stand before Jesus Christ, your life will be, in a sense, flashed. And that all the good and all the bad that you have done will be, will be somehow made known. There's even... People who say that there will be all the other believers watching as your life unfolds and all the sins, all the things that you've ever done will be played out as you stand before Christ. Uh, uh, there's good people who tease that. Now, I don't believe that. Here's why. Number one, all the bads that you've ever done have been placed where? On Jesus Christ. He's the satisfactory payment not for our sins, only the sins of the entire world. I think they're far away as the east is the west. He says, I will what? I will remember them no more. So I don't think when we stand before Christ that he's going to show all of our sin. Because the sin's already on Christ. I think he's going to show our deeds. And some things we do, we do for our glory. And some things we do, we do for his glory. When Barnabas gave the land to the church, sold the, sold the land and gave the money to the church, whose glory was that for? It was God's glory, right? When Ananias and Sapphira sold the land and gave the money, whose glory was that for? It was theirs because they kept back part of the price. They wanted to look like they were doing something. And see, there, there are times that people serve God, and the goal is that people would see them. It's not necessarily sin. They're doing, you, you help this person across the street. I'm going to help this little person across the street. Come on, I'll help you across the street. Everybody's watching me. They're all seeing I'm such a sweet person. I'm helping this little lady across the street. I'm such a nice person. That was a good deed. There's not going to be any rewards there. You already have your reward. 
Remember, he said, when you do your things, your good deeds to be seen before men, you already have your what? You already have your reward. But you say, hey, I'll have you across the street. You're not thinking about what. You're just saying, thank you, Lord. I get an opportunity. And you, you, that's for the glory of God. So when you stand before Jesus Christ, I don't think it's going to be for sin. I think it's going to be for deeds. And I think the deeds are going to be either good or worthless. That Greek word for bad doesn't mean evil. It means worthless. It means like a rotten banana that's just gotten all, and you look at it and you go, oh, I don't want that. Throw that away. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, or something that you leave in the refrigerator for a long time and you don't know what it is. And when you open it up, you go, I think this is bad. It's worthless, right? You don't want to eat that. I think this is what this word means here. So when he says, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding seat of Christ, so that we may be given back for the things, the deeds we've done in this body, whether they're good or worthless. We should be excited about that day. Now, I know it's scary because you're standing before who? You're standing before the creator of everything, the, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the eternal God, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's, he's everything. But, he, but we also know that he loves us beyond what any, anybody, anywhere, any place could ever love us. His love never changes. We've talked about this before. Now, this has always helped me, and I've talked to several people, and it's helped them as well. Think about this. How much does God love you right now? To the maximum. If you serve him, he loves you to the maximum. If you don't serve him, he loves you to the maximum. If there's an unbeliever right there, does he love him to the maximum? Look, God's love never changes. Now, with us, you do somebody wrong, they're not going to like you very much anymore. They say, I used to like them, I don't like them anymore. But God's love never changes whether you do right or do wrong. So when we say, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ, even though it's the scariness of aspect of standing before the living God, there should be the aspect that we're standing before the one whose love has never changed and never will change for us. Amazing. Okay, first thing. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding seat of Christ, to be recompensed for the deeds in this body according to whether you've done, whether good or worthless. It's pretty incredible truth. Okay, let me stop before we go. Oh, we got a little bit more time. We're going to go on to the next passage. Any questions about what we call the judgment seat of Christ in First and in Second Corinthians five? Questions, input. Are we? Do we eagerly await his return? I think. Most of us are saying, well, I hope he doesn't come back right now because I want more time to get on the stick, right? And, and make sure I'm doing the things he wants me to do. Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's another passage. There are at least three places. There's a number of places, but there's at least three places in the Scripture in which we can see truths about rewards. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. Uh, as you get there... And as you're turning, let me remind you that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking about rewards. And he's talking about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He says that, first of all, it's like this. He's using an analogy. He said, the foundation of everything is Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? That's your foundation. Then he says, then you build on that foundation. And he's basically saying, you serve and you do works and you build on the foundation of Christ. Look at verse 11. He says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
So he says, there's the foundation. Then he talks about building on it, and he's using an analogy. He says, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw. Now, he's using the analogy that the deeds that we do, and let me put it this way. If you do the deed and the power of the Holy Spirit, not to be seen by people, but to glorify God, that's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. If you do deeds, that might be a good deed, but but in a sense you already have your reward because you did it to be seen by people or something else, that's going to be wood, hay, or straw. Now, he's using an analogy because he's going to say, some things will always last, some things won't last at all. And he's showing the picture. Okay? So, notice, each man's work will be evident, will be clearly seen. Look at verse, he said, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. Evident means clearly seen. For the day, the judgment seat of Christ, the day we stand before Jesus, will show it because it is to be real the fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now he's using the analogy and he's saying, it's like we're going to set fire. We're going to set fire to what? What are we setting fire to? Either gold Silver or precious stone or wood, hay or what? Straight or stone. Look, that's what he's going to do. He's saying, listen, you're going to stand before Christ and here's your deeds. And he says, and here's the picture. The picture is you stand before Christ and here's all your deeds. And some of these deeds are what? Gold, silver, precious stone. Some of these deeds are wood, hay, straw. He, as he says, there's your pile of stuff. Okay? He says, everybody's work's going to be evident that day because fire's going to test it. Fire's going to reveal it. He says this, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive what? Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he's going to suffer what? Loss. But... But he himself, now Paul wanted to make sure, listen, this has nothing to do with salvation. He himself will be saved yet through the fire. So bottom line, he says, here's the analogy. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ and all the deeds that you've done. And of course, the Second Corinthians says, you'll be recompensed for the things you've done in your body, whether they're good or worthless. The good would be the gold, silver, and precious stone. The worthless would be the wood, hay, and straw. And so when you stand before him, it's not like he says, uh, would you, you might stand over here for a second while I light fire to that pile. And then, whew, some of us will go, oh, is there anything left at all? Right? He says, if anything remains, you're going to get what? Rewards. And if it doesn't remain, not rewards. Works done in the power of the Holy Spirit with the right motive and all that is going to be rewarded. Things done with the wrong motive. It goes back to motive. It always goes back to motive. Because I could be teaching today and saying, I want to teach so everybody thinks I know the Bible. I already have my what? I got it. That's it. But if you say, I just want to teach the Bible so people can know it and understand it and love it and see how great God is and Jesus and truths and understand it. See? And so we can do anything, uh, either for the glory of God or for the glory of ourselves. Now, sometimes, because we're fallen people, there's probably a little of both in everything. Paul even says that. He says, you know, I don't even test my own self. He says, I, I think best I can tell, I'm doing everything for the glory of God, but you know, I don't know, and one day, Jesus will make sure I understand. That's what Paul said. And let me tell you something. Even right now, if you were to say, well, golly, JB, I, I mean, I'm trying to live for Christ, but I mean, I'm a fallen person. I mean, who knows? I don't know my attitude or motive or something every time I do something, right? 
Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He knows we're just what? Dust. He knows us. He loves us. He knows us and he loves us. Look what he says. So if any man work which is built on remains, he'll receive reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Yet he himself will be saved yet through the fire. Truth is, we're going to be rewarded. Now let me show you one other place, and I want you to turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. And as you're turning there, Paul is writing towards to the, to the church, church at Rome, the believers, and they're fussing at each other and they're judging each other. Let me ask you a question. Let's say that a person gets up to sing and they sing on a Sunday morning, right? What if you say they did that just to be seen? Do you know that? Do you know their motive? Do you have any idea what their motive for singing is? Do you have any idea what the motive for somebody teaching a Sunday school class or teaching children's church or teaching an SBI class? Do you know the motive of why anybody is a greeter out there or why anybody would take... Uh, any, do, do you, are you able to judge motives? No. You can judge actions, but you can't judge motives. You can judge what you see, but you can't judge what's inside. That's why when the Bible says, judge not that you lest you be judged, he's not talking about when a guy does something wrong, you say, that's wrong for the Bible. If somebody ever looks at you and says, you're not supposed to judge, he said, no, no, he's not talking about judging actions. You're not supposed to judge what? Motives. You can't judge motives. So in Rome, they were arguing and judging one another. Look what he says. Verse 10 of Romans 14. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Listen, you're not the one to judge. You don't know what the motives are. I have to tell you this story real quickly. I know time is up. When I was at another place, we had a person that would sing. And, uh, and this is a long time ago. And this person was Miss Oklahoma. It's not the same one that the most recent Miss Oklahoma that we know. But she could sing up a storm. And she'd get up on Sunday morning and sing. And, I mean, it was wonderful. And I, she was a good friend of mine, and I talked to her a lot. I remember one time after she sang... A person came straight up to my face and said, she just gets up there so everybody thinks how, how great she is. I said, you have no idea what you just said. I said, there's no way do you know what her heart is. There's no way you know what her motive is. You cannot judge another person's motives. Can't do it. So Paul, when he writes this, and I've got to stop right here and we'll get this passage next time. He says, but, but why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all what? Stand before where? The judgment seat of God. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Same thing. And I just want you to see this. It is written, uh, as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow to me, every tongue is going to give praise. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So I want to stop right there just for you to think about this. That this morning we've seen that we're going to all stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Over in this passage it's called the judgment seat of God. We're going to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. It all goes back to the motive on why you do something. You cannot judge another person's motive. The only one that will be able to judge the motive is our Savior Jesus Christ. And we will give an account to him. We'll, we'll get a little bit more on this next time. And then we're going to keep talking more about the rewards and those kind of things. Any questions, comments? I know time is up. Anything?
Okay, Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for the passage. Thank you, Lord, for one day we will stand before you. And Lord, it's scary, but at the same time, you love us beyond we could imagine. You empower us. You give us spiritual gifts. You give us opportunities. Everything we have comes from your grace. So Lord, may we live for you and serve you. May we run the race with endurance. May we walk worthy the call which we've been called. May we live out who we are so we can hear you say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Help us to know it and understand it and apply it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.